0: Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm producer Kaylee Monahan. And I'm producer Amanda
1: Luberto. Normally, we answer your questions about Metro Phoenix, but we're doing something a little different. For the next four weeks, we're going to profile four different women from Arizona's history. After all, it is Women's History Month.
0: That's right. So for this month, we'd like to introduce you to Arizona, her story. In this series, you'll hear about incredible entrepreneurs, artists, politicians, and even criminals. Each woman has her own unique story that has become ingrained into the fabric of our state. And we should point out, this month holds a special significance
1: for you, Kaylee.
0: True. For the last five-ish years or so, I've taken the opportunity to research Arizona women who history has seemingly bypassed or even forgotten. As a native of the Grand Canyon State, I filled a glaring hole in my local knowledge. And I'm a history nerd.
1: I mean, are not we all here at Valley 101? I've definitely noticed. (laughs)
0: Women's History Month was, and still is, the perfect excuse to explore some of the notable women of our state. I think this is such a fun project, and I'm glad that we're doing
1: it again. And this year, I'm excited to be a part of it as well. So how about you start by explaining the series?
0: Gladly. So Arizona Her Story will explore women from all walks of life who have made an impact on our state, great and small, But one key aspect is that these are women that most people probably haven't heard of or don't really know about.
1: All right, so we're not going to do like the Sandra Day O'Connors or the Rose Moffords of Arizona.
0: Correct. While those women are completely noteworthy and worth knowing about, I feel that it is important to shine a light on those women who are lesser known by our communities.
1: I think that's great and I think it totally fits what we do here at Valley 101. So to kick off the start of the series and the start of the month, who are you introducing us to?
0: Abra Hackett. This is a beautiful building, by the way. I'm at the Arizona State yes. Library. Just west of the Capitol building. And I'm here to see something special. Hi, Haley. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Welcome. Wow, I'm very excited to be here. Yes, yes, yes. Feels yeah, so very much the... like the back of a, the museum.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Usually we're in the basement. So we'll
2: come over here.
0: We enter a large room lined with metal bookshelves. Organized in rows are work tables and desks. Stacks of books and papers are neatly set on the workspaces. We follow newspaper conservator Joanne Martinez-Kilgore to one of the tables. Carefully laid out are the original copies of the Arizona Gleam. The newspaper, Aira Hackett founded. Yeah,
3: it's physical papers. So the paper itself, the Gleam, has been in our collection for some time, many years now, but only on microfilm.
0: This is Asa Espinado. She is a newspaper collection librarian for the state library.
3: The issues that we have on microfilm, we don't have the physical copies any longer. I'm not sure what happened to them. Maybe they were donated, maybe they were, you know, they moved on. But a couple of years ago, after those news stories about the Gleam were published, we were contacted by a local resident in Phoenix who told us that they had some issues in their home. And so they donated
0: these and now we have them here. The old papers are browned with age. One is even slightly green. So I asked Joanne about it. What's turning the paper green-ish I think it was green to begin with. Was it? Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then, of course, the brown is the exposure to oxygen, so oxidation, it brings out the acid content in the paper.
0: When the donated papers first arrived, they came folded, like newspapers usually are. But being so old, they are delicate and you can't just open them like a current paper. We have a humidification room that has, it's like
2: we call it the paper spa, and so we put them in the paper spa, and they relaxed for a couple days, (laughs) and then we were able to flatten them out and put them under weight, and then they are interleaved where there is termite damage because the
0: termites gnawed through the papers, so the papers can get tangled in one another. Despite the museum-like environment, we aren't required to use gloves. Instead, Joanne shows us a little tool to help us turn the pages and limit the amount of actual contact with the newsprint. So I
2: have a spatula here to use to turn this page,
0: or maybe even the interleaving. It just kind of helps you. Despite being over 90 years old, the papers are still legible, there are stories about local residents, businesses, and events. At the start, the Arizona gleam was hyper-local, as Asa points out. And there's like,
3: so local that it's like, so-and-so was sick, and she spent the day at her mom's house.
4: Ira Hackett, her paper focused on church issues,
0: this is Anthony Pratcher.
4: I am an honors faculty fellow and assistant teaching professor at Barrett at the Honors College.
0: He sat down with me in our studio in downtown Phoenix to talk about Ara Hackett.
4: She had articles, editorials where she talked about what it meant to be a good mother. She even had an article where her daughter talked about how much she appreciated her mom. So I think what she saw was an opportunity to fill a need as far as providing social commentary to uplift the community, as opposed to focusing on politics. And and this isn't to say she didn't encourage people to vote, she did, she was absolutely an advocate for participation in those kind of ways. But what she was able to do was give people a sense of the best that they could be, and to allow them to see themselves in a light that wasn't in competition with the racist world around them. It was really more so about highlighting the joy of black life in the black community at that time.
0: Mrs. Hackett established the paper in November of 1929. Back then, the city of Phoenix looked very different, and not only physically. Socially, the city was segregated, with African Americans and Hispanics living in certain neighborhoods. This was the time of the Jim Crow laws. Redlining, the practice of discriminating against people who financial institutions consider risky, was very much alive at this time. Valley 101 looked into the history and practice of redlining in a previous episode. The Arizona Republic has also covered the issue, including a deep-dive look into how the discriminatory practices of the past are still very present today. We'll link to that story in our show notes.
4: It was definitely a tough time, but I also think it was a time of opportunity. One of the things you see when you look at the Hacketts is that they... They eventually invest in real estate, and they're able to attract other professionals to move out here to Phoenix, Black professionals, by offering them living accommodations.
0: Ara Hackett came to Phoenix with her husband, Dr. Winston Hackett. He was notable as the first Black doctor in the state. Together, they opened the Booker T. Washington Memorial Hospital, located at the corner of 14th and Jefferson Streets in Phoenix. The building they used was actually the home of former territorial governor Joseph Kibby. There is one known portrait of Aira. It shows a woman with thick finger-waved hair, an elegant sequin dress, and a smile that's both warm and infectious. Her eyes shine with confidence. She was not someone who appeared to be intimidated, ever. That confidence was also evident in her work in the Phoenix Black community. She worked alongside her husband as a midwife at their hospital.
4: She was deeply involved in the operations of the hospital. Uh, she also was church mother at the First Institutional Color Baptist Church. So that's First Institutional Baptist Church today. And what was, I think, so interesting about it was the way as, as church mother, she really put on a lot of different activities for youth and teenagers. So she being a younger woman herself, maybe around 25, 26, was in charge of a lot of 7 to you know 15 year olds and showing them ways that they could be engaged, uplift themselves while living here in the valley.
0: Dr. Winston Hackett came to Arizona in 1916. It's not clear whether he brought Aira with him or if she came later, but they both came from Texas.
4: The legend goes that when her husband moved out here, he worked as a cotton picker, making, I believe, like 75 cents a week or something until he could pay for his medical license. I believe he went to Meharry.
0: That's the Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee.
4: So he left Texas and must have come back and then moved them all there together, that's my understanding. But she was so young when she moved to Arizona. She was 21, 22.
0: Bear in mind, the U.S. Civil War ended about 50 years prior to the Hackett's arrival. Arizona had ties to the defeated Confederacy. In fact, the Confederates declared Arizona part of its own territory on August 1st, 1861, at the start of the Civil War. Racism was common throughout the white population, and this did not change after Arizona became a state. Schools, businesses, and hospitals were just a few of the institutions that were segregated. This is the environment that Aira and her husband found themselves in. But the discrimination the Black community faced in Phoenix did not stop Aira. Born in 1896, she received her education in Texas. In one of the tributes printed about Aira, it revealed that her connection to journalism started when she was a student. Here's Asa Espinado again.
3: Mrs. Hackett received her first work on a newspaper when she was a student in college. And from that experience, she was inspired to publish The Gleam and help in the expansion of a great cause, a modern hospital to serve suffering humanity.
0: Ara Hackett was the only African-American female owner of a newspaper in Arizona at that time, and one of the very few in the whole country. The story goes that she started the Arizona Gleam in her living room with a mostly all-woman staff. Some of the journalists she employed included Tilly Turner, Ruth Phillips, and Consuela McHenry. To be clear, There were other Black-owned publications in Arizona at this time. But as Anthony Pratcher explained, those were owned by Black men. The reporters and publishers were men as well.
4: She hired women in the community to go out and find the society news, to find about the church news and to write about it, giving a voice to people who prior to that time really weren't able to be published within the state.
0: As we heard earlier, the paper started by publishing community stories. Here's Asa Espinado.
3: You know, initially it starts off as church news, but it very quickly turns into, you know, a variety of content, especially more civic and social political issues.
0: Ava was highly involved in church debates, as well as with the local NAACP chapter. She was a member of the Arizona Federation of Colored Women's Clubs. And both she and her husband, Dr. Winston Hackett, were very involved in civic engagement.
3: So, yes, she was a woman about town. She was definitely making these connections, you know, was very much revered in her church, which was the first colored Baptist church, also on Jefferson Street.
0: Very quickly, the Arizona Gleam began publishing more stories about social and civic issues. Its weekly publications soon spotlighted racial discrimination segregation, and lynching. Aira published stories from across the state, the country, and even from around the world. But it wasn't all dark news. Era's team of journalists also told stories about successes and triumphs. One such story includes the increase of African-American instructors at the State Teachers College in Tempe. And while Aira never told readers who to vote for, and her paper would give candidates equal treatment, she did write in an editorial, quote, I do pledge myself to support the man who will give my group the fairest deal. The colored race knows who they think best to vote for. The man who is a friend to the colored race. So I think it really speaks to,
3: like, folks speaking from the community, not necessarily for the community and, like, their concerns. So it's like an interesting snapshot in time, you know, where a lot of these personal stories, because it's such a mix. It's not just national news. It's not just, you know, obviously clearly horrible things happening in the world, in the nation, locally, et cetera. But, you know, you have poetry submissions. You have like, you know, what is it, recipes, things like that, you know, local dances. things. So it's just, it's really beautiful to encapsulate like all the concerns of the community or like such a wide variety.
0: By the second year of production, the slogan, Arizona's only regular colored publication, was added to the Gleam's masthead. Back at the archives, we continue to look through the papers. We spot a write in from a James Earl Davis. On the
3: paper's fifth anniversary, this gentleman wrote in you know, expressing his appreciation for you know, all the work that was being done. And he says, right here, I worked with the late Miss Era E. Hackett, who was editor and publisher of the Arizona Gleam. She made a very fine contribution to the progress and advancement of the city and state through the printed word in that medium.
0: In another edition, we see one of Aira's reporters had this story. Hackett's are hosts.
3: Thursday evening, July 13th, Dr. and Mrs. W.C. Hackett entertained at dinner in honor of Professor J.H. Palmer of Tuskegee Institute, Alabama. Covers were laid for the honor guest, Mr. J.S. Rogers, Ms. A.E. Perdue, Ms. Myrtle Hackett, the host and hostess. A sumptuous four-course repast was served and enjoyed. Professor Palmer's mission is to visit former students and graduates at Tuskegee in every state of the Union. He left Thursday evening for California.
0: There were political stories, like coverage of President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal. Another story had this harrowing headline: Hitler advocates sterilization of Negroes and Jews on the front page of the October 8, 1932 issue is this story. Every man equal before the law, Garner. And it refers to the Democratic vice president nominee, John N. Garner, stating that in matters of race, he will view all people as equal, as the vice president. Garner is quoted in the story as saying, every man equal before the law, special privileges to none, black or white, high or low, Rich or poor, that has always been my policy. Colored people who know me can attest to that fact. End quote. John Garner ended up winning VP and served alongside President Franklin Roosevelt. The Arizona Gleam was the voice of the Black community in Phoenix for only a brief time. The
3: bravery of people to be like publishing this kind of information and like very clearly like, no, this is what we support, you know, very much making their sentiments known, right? Where the first issue is just sort of, you know, it's smaller, very local, but then very quickly you'll see this is, I believe, 30, 32. So the masthead changes to include Arizona's premier race weekly, you know, like they're the confidence and like and the assurances. Statewide circulation, right. too. Right, yeah. So I love, I love that this is what we're thinking, you know, all these contributing opinions. You can also see in this, there's um, after her passing, someone had sent this into the Phoenix Index, which is another black owned newspaper. But it was, it was a gentleman who was just voicing his appreciation for all of the hard work that folks in this community were doing as far as, like, newspaper this
4: publications.
0: Era passed away in 1932 from pneumonia. She was just 35 years old. The Arizona Gleam carried on publishing for a little while after her death, but it started to fizzle out without her. It's not clear when the paper stopped publishing, but it was definitely out of circulation by 1938. However, its impact resonated far longer than its lifespan, much like Aira herself. As for her husband, Dr. Winston lived to be 67 years old. The hospital he built with Era eventually shut down, and he passed away in 1949. <music> Chloe T. Hammonds is an artist, activist, second-generation Arizonan, and community builder. She is also the founder and creative director of Emancipation Arts an organization she formed to bring attention to Black artists in Arizona. She came with me to the archives to look at Aira's newspaper. After the viewing, we sat down together to talk about her memories of both seeing the gleam as a child and how far Arizona still has to go when it comes to social justice and addressing systemic racism.
2: We're pretty much stuck in a rut considering all of the progress that's been made technologically and if you look around the opportunity zones, all of the investments that come here, we are stuck in a rut. If, if you look at who's building, you know, look at who's working on all of the new structures and look at who's demolishing things, you don't see Black workers. You do not see them. I mean,
0: it's same story, just different times. The history of African Americans in Arizona, and particularly in Phoenix, has been ignored lost, or even erased in some cases. But Clotie is a strong voice in our community who refuses to let Black history, culture, and contributions go unrecognized.
2: We have very few Black publications. Thank heavens for, you know, social media. And we have really no television presence to speak of every now and then, you know, there'll be a sprinkling of a black reporter here. But as far as dedicated media, we don't have that. We have no black representation. Think Think of who the black lawmakers are. If you needed a black attorney, where would you go? We have no representation. We didn't have it then. And we don't have it now.
0: When we were looking at the newspapers, Cloti discovered something. That is my granddad. Oh my gosh. She points to an advertisement for wood, coal, and kindling.
2: They spelled it
0: wrong, but that's that's his
2: business. The
0: The misspelling she's referring to is the D at the end of Hammond's. Rather, the ad says Hammond's Fuel Company, with a D at the end.
2: (laughs) Wood, coal, and kindling, he sold kerosene, he delivered ice, he did hauling.
0: It turns out Clotie's grandfather was neighbors with the Hacketts. I asked her about it, and if she heard any stories about the Hacketts from her family.
2: I don't have any way of knowing any of that, because generationally, when you're a child, you stay out of grown folks' business. At least Black kids do. Okay, so I really don't know. And the Hackett's had passed long before I was born.
0: But what she did remember was seeing issues of the Arizona gleam in people's homes. I grew up looking
2: at Black news. You know, Jet Magazine was in every household. Uh, First of all, I'm very grateful to have access to these archives and see these printed pages firsthand. And also to see that there was a black awareness in Phoenix, Arizona, where it seems like there never has been any. There is so much effort to just hush that down. That's not important. That kind of thing. And she was, you know, not just bringing the local news and she was reporting on things that people might consider trivial. This person was sick and now they're doing better. Okay, that's a person that may not have gotten any other kind of attention. She's reporting on the churches, and the churches are all over the country. Black churches are the vestiges of our history. And so that's extremely important. Looking at the names of the other people that reported and finding names that I was familiar with just because I lived here. So, yeah, I I mean, I could come back and look through those things again and again and again.
0: As a Native who grew up in the Valley, I can say that I never learned about any local Black figures. History about our state was scant at best and didn't cover diverse communities when I was going to school. Connecting with a community leader like Cloteet for this story was both very humbling and eye-opening. After all, I grew up in the East Valley, which isn't known for much diversity. Aira Hackett's story, the Arizona Gleam, and the Black experience of Phoenix is something that I am just now coming to know about. Speaking for myself, it felt not only pertinent, but essential to share Aira's story first in our Arizona Her Story series. As a journalist, I'm inspired by her dedication to her work and community. Her publication shows just how vibrant the Black community was during her time. And just as a fellow woman and human being, I admire her ability to not only put out a weekly newspaper, but also to be a midwife, work as a church mother, and be a beacon of strength. Finally, while we are going to be exploring the lives of various women this month, I do want to point out one more important holiday. March 16th is Black Press Day. It commemorates when the first Black newspaper, Freedom's Journal, hit the stands in New York City in 1827. The Arizona gleam is part of that tradition. Anthony Pratcher sums up Ira's legacy this way.
4: So, someone like Ira Hackett, she's a trailblazer, but she's such a free spirit. She's independently minded. She's self starting. I mean, she's an entrepreneur. Not just that, though, she's civically oriented. She cares about her community. She really wanted to see what she could do to create a better world, not just for her and her family, but for the neighbors around her. Someone like that is somebody who all of us who are inheriting her legacy owe a debt of, I don't know if I want to say gratitude, but at least respect and honor. I do think that even when you think about the fact that the Hacketts, they they opened a tuberculosis center, they had tuberculosis cots for African-Americans. Tuberculosis was the leading cause of death of Arizonans under 45 up until World War II. And these numbers were exacerbated in African American communities due to the structural issues that we've already discussed. So she put herself on the line to serve people who were being left to die by the state. And in that sense, when you think of what she did in healthcare, when you think of what she did in journalism, when you think of what she did in institutional life, she really did lay a blueprint for future Arizonans, black, white, brown, yellow, red, however you want to understand it, but for all people to see how they can contribute to the community and give more than they're taking and leave the world a better place than the one that came before. She's absolutely a role model in that sort of sense and somebody who we all should be proud to say is a fellow Arizonan.
0: you for listening to Arizona Her Story on Valley 101. This podcast is a production by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Next week's story will profile one of the most notorious coach robbers of the Southwest. But for now, make sure to like, rate, and review our show. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked this episode, share it with a friend. Submit your questions about Metro Phoenix to valley101 at azcentral.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for AZC Podcasts. Special thanks to all our guests for sharing their time and knowledge with us. For Valley 101, I'm producer Kaylee Monahan. We'll see you next week. It's a woman's So uh. this world.